0: you know i'm sorting about a book when i get to the end of the review and i'm hoarse hello and welcome back to witch fix uh, just to start with an apology a while ago i reviewed silver ravenwolf's solitary witch that remains quite a popular episode so Thanks for that, but I did say in that review that I was going to be getting around to reviewing some of her other books, and it's taken me until now to remember that, and the long answer to that is that uh, they make up a pretty good base for my to-read pile, and therefore removing them at this point is a little bit of a fuss. So uh, what I did do is go out and buy all new books by Silver Ravenworth so that I could review those for you instead. Now, these came to my attention when I was looking for a new teen fiction series after giving up the Circle of Three series. Well, not giving up. After finishing the Circle of Three series, I was Googling around trying to find a Wiccan teen series. And I found uh, a trilogy of teen books and they are known as the Witches Chillers trilogy. And they are written by Silver Ravenwolf, who apparently writes fiction uh, or wrote fiction. I don't know if she's still writing. I don't really know what she's up to in her career at the moment. But she has released several novels and this trilogy. So I was like, oh, and they were cheap. So I bought all three of them. I'm going to be reviewing the first book in the series now. And it's called Witch's Night Out. And basically the premise behind these books is that on the cover of Silver's book, Teen Witch. There was cover art which was drawn of some teenage girls, maybe a guy as well, I don't, I don't know, I've never owned a copy of the book. um But that she then wrote fiction based on that illustration. She was like, okay, these are some characters, I'm gonna write uh, a teen novel based on these teenagers. I've heard worse bases for novels, but at the back of this book, there's a little section um, just of her like explaining how she came to write this book and i want you to just keep keep this little bit of it in mind it says although the story is entirely fictional i set about to devise a world where the teens use real magic not the fairy tale stuff it wasn't easy in the world of fiction anything can happen it would have been so easy to give bethany and her friends superpowers but i knew that real magic doesn't work that way conjuring magic is a skill that one acquires after hard work and practice It takes longer than a snap of your fingers and it almost never happens with the bells and whistles of a Hollywood film. But it does happen. Bethany and her friends are students of magic, which in a way makes it all the more fun. I just want you to remember that and the tone of voice that I read it in as I dive into what is surely going to be quite a long review because I was folding over corners of the book as uh, I was going through of just like things that I wanted to raise when I talk to you guys. That's how I usually prepare for these, and um, I think the book has actually changed shape from the number of corners i followed uh, folded over. The blurb for the book is this. Be careful what you wish for. Bethany Salem is a pretty normal 16-year-old, except for one thing, dot, dot, dot. She's a witch! When Bethany's boyfriend, Joe dies in a mysterious car accident, she vows to find his killer. When she calls on the magical hounds of the Wild Hunt to catch the murderer, the members of the witches in her outcoven get more than they bargained for. Will they catch Joe's killer in time, or will the killer catch them? Quite an exciting premise, put me in mind of a few books from the uh, Isabel Bird Circle of Three series, where, you know, they try and solve a mystery or solve crime. That's what this one reminded me of um, quite strongly when I read the blurb, but it is actually very different, so we'll start from the beginning. Uh, I'm going to give some trigger warnings, because this does contain mention of suicide, um, loss of a parent sexual assault, underage, drinking, drugs, activities are mentioned, but I don't think they are actually seen in the book. Um, So that's just something to be mindful of if you're going into it. Silver Ravenwolf has dedicated this book on the uh, front page. This came out in the year 2000, by the way, so 19 years ago now. This book is dedicated to the 33 million teens in the USA. You're all that and more. So I guess that's nice. If you're a teenager, Silver Ravenwolf believes in you. This is going to be quite a negative review, I think, so I'm just going to start off by saying some of the things I actually liked about the book in case I forget to do that later on, which is quite likely. The prose is, for the most part, pretty well put together. Um, A lot of the descriptive elements in it are quite nice and very evocative, and they create a really good image. I quite liked the main character of Bethany. Uh, I wasn't so sure about the others because we didn't really spend a lot of time with them. We were just in Bethany's point of view. Um, But Bethany comes off as not being as twee as the circle of three protagonists, nor as bland as the Wicker series protagonist Morgan. She has a little bit more spirit, a little more fight. She definitely seems to be uh, at home in her power, which is quite nice to read in a, a teenage witch protagonist. So I enjoyed that immensely. And for the most part the book does a good job of having the teenagers act like actual teenagers in that they make mistakes they can be irrational and emotional they react to things off the cuff and maybe regret it later Uh, so that was again very well done I think obviously the author really knows her audience teen wise so did a pretty good job of writing it and I think Silver Ravenwolf mentions at the end that she does actually have uh, teenage daughters so um, I guess that helped I would say that it's a plus that the cast of characters is at least semi-diverse, in that they appear to have a Chinese member of the coven and also African American, however any points that Silver might have gained with me for obviously not just having a coven of white girls got kind of stripped away on page 6 at the introduction of Tilly, who is the African American character, which reads as follows. "'Man, I thought that Ramona woman would never leave,' said Tilly, "'flopping down on the couch, "'lacing her brown fingers through the cornrows of her black hair. "'How did your dad find her?' "'Bethany tried to mask her feelings and smiled. "'She just showed up at the door last week, "'said she'd heard that our last housekeeper got married "'and moved to Arkansas. Weird. "'Bethany truly believed that somewhere in Tilly's gene pool "'there was Fay blood. "'The city could be dangerous. "'It was those brown ears pointed at the top "'and the enchanted way she could guess whatever you were thinking.' Definitely old world fairy somewhere. Definitely a candidate who might enjoy killing. Tilly rolled her golden brown eyes. The woman is odd, she announced, smoothing the wrinkles from her scarlet shirt. That's page six. And on page eight, later on in the conversation, they are talking about something else. But um, they're talking about how the old housekeeper has left. And Tilly says, gone now, said Tilly, making an imaginary star in the air with snapping fingers. And um, this isn't the uh, only time in the book that Tilly Zed snaps a pentacle. So I thought I'd mention that. There are a lot of ways that you can introduce the fact that a character is a race that isn't white. Um, you could just not mention it and leave it up to the reader to assume one way or the other. You can have a picture in your mind. And usually that comes across in the text that you're really having to try that hard. Um, in this book they do mention later on that she has voodoo or hoodoo or something like in her background in her family that, that she's being taught ancestrally. So that might have been a good way, given the subject matter of the book, to bring that up. But you definitely don't need to say like, oh, this character ran her brown hands through her stereotypical African American hairstyle and then Zed snapped pentacle. It's like, oh okay. The other character who is not white is Nam. Nam is being described throughout the like opening chapter of the book as being very well put together. She always wears all of the same colour. But she's also described as being quite small, uh, petite, soft-spoken. She has like little hands, as mentioned at one point. And I was reading it like, if this is how Tilly was introduced, I kind of have an inkling this kind of stereotypical route with going down here. And lo and behold, when they're talking about other things that they could be doing their ritual for instead of what Bethany wants to do, which I'll get into in a minute, uh, Nam says, My father wants to bring our relatives over from China, but he doesn't have enough money. I'd like to do something for that, Nam said, a shy smile flittering across her mouth. I thought we'd put this thing about Joe behind us. Your father not have enough money, said Karen, a sarcastic edge to her voice. That'll be the day. Nam lowered her green eyes, her lower lip trembling, her little hands stiffening into claws. It takes a lot of money to bring five people into this country. Not only will he pay for my brother and sister, but there are my grandparents and a cousin whose parents were killed in Tiananmen Square. So you can kind of see that the same thing is happening with Nam. The way she's being described, the very kind of stereotypical aspects to her description again there's better ways that you can introduce that moving past that and into the actual plot basically the opening scene of the book is bethany recounting how her boyfriend joe was killed in a car accident before summer and that she's still very cut up about it and she believes that he was murdered that it was no accident whatsoever she doesn't really say why she believes this she just does so that night she wants to do a spell to bring his killer to justice to basically find out what happened now the coven is called the witch's night out coven and joe is a member of it the current members are bethany herself nick and karen who are a jock and kind of a bitchy blonde girl respectively nam and tilly we don't really find out a whole lot about nick and karen in this scene i think the character who isn't bethany who gets the most airtime the most characterization is tilly the two of them seem kind of best friends But we do get this little scene, which is a little bit strange. So they're all basically gathered at Bethany's house to decide whether or not they should do this spell to get justice for Jo. So Nick says, I told you when I got here, football practice ran late and then my sister asked me to run an errand for her. It took me longer than I thought it would. Which she probably had planned, said Karen. Your sister is majorly crazy. Why didn't you just chuck her away in a loony bin? Let it go, Karen, said Tilly. We've already talked about this before. Marissa hasn't gotten over. She glanced quickly at Nick. The loss of her parents last winter, so she's a little overprotective. She'll come around. Marissa's just into that big sister thing right now. Karen tossed her head, her ponytail zinging as if she'd been electrocuted. I'm surprised she hasn't come to the door already, pretending that Nick forgot something just so she can check up on him, said Karen, shooting Nick a disgusted smirk. It wouldn't be the first time. Here we see that Karen is kind of a major douche but it's also very weird the way they're talking about this because obviously they're talking about Nick's sister therefore his parents died and they're just kind of casually talking about this in front of him and referring to his parents as just Marissa's parents the loss of her parents last winter it's just very weird and kind of clunky and odd and a lot of that kind of clunky weird expositional stuff happens because we have to get told that Bethany's mum is also dead and. Various other things have happened in the past which kind of left me feeling at the beginning that this was actually the second book in the series to the extent I had to go and dig out the other two just to make sure I hadn't accidentally started reading the second book but this is the first one it's just that a lot of interesting stuff apparently happened before this book started so um, they have to kind of tell you that stuff instead of showing it to you. The other main character in the book is Ramona. She's the newly hired staff in the house, basically a housekeeper but also kind of a babysitter for Bethany because her dad works in the city as a police officer and isn't around much. Uh Ramona is kind of weird. I think she's meant to be from New Orleans and she refers to herself constantly in the third person, which is very odd. Like everything she says is like Ramona doesn't think that we should be messing with this. And also she just randomly says the French word for something and then the English word for something in a sentence. So she's like, it is very warm out here. So, so hot. And you're like, you don't need to keep chucking French in there for us to remember that she's meant to be from New Orleans. It's just just very strange. But she's kind of an important character in the book because she, one, knew Bethany's mother, although this isn't really brought up that much, but also she kind of fulfills the role of helpful older practitioner of witchcraft or similar like folk magic based religion who can then advise Bethany and look out for her. Basically chapter one ends up with them doing a spell to hunt down Joe's killer and Bethany summons the hounds of the world hunt to hunt that person down which no one thinks is a good idea because they're like if the hounds can't find the killer they'll turn on us and kill us instead which I don't know what the basis for that is, but it's apparently enough of a worry for it to be mentioned several times. Now, at the end of the ritual that they're doing to get Joe's killer, the window suddenly gets smashed in and it's all very dramatic. It's not immediately clear what's happened, but it turns out what's happened is that Nick's crazy sister was watching them from outside and she threw a rock through the window. And they drag her away and she's like shouting about cults and witches and Satan and various stuff Uh, and... She gets taken away and they're all a little bit worried because of the ritual they've just done and also this unexpected development. On page 30, Bethany remarks, I can't understand what happened. Marissa shouldn't have been able to see what we were doing if we'd cast the circle the right way. And I just want to call you back to the thing that I read at the beginning about Silver Ravenwolf talking about how this is real magic and real wicker, and this isn't like fancy Hollywood magic but apparently Bethany's convinced that they're invisible if they're in the circle and at first I kind of put this down to oh well she's a teenager she probably just like believes that but then later on one of the main characters does actually turn invisible more on that later and now one of my main gripes with this book I would say like the main problem I had with it overall aside from it being a little bit ridiculous in places is the fact that the plot doesn't really ever get going nothing really develops in the sense of how a plot normally works issues get raised but then a couple of pages later they are instantly resolved for example on page 34 um bethany and tilly and nam according to the principal's office and they're told that they've been told about their involvement in witchcraft presumably by nick's sister and that a locker search has revealed magical items and things in their lockers which they don't keep there and so have obviously been planted to make them look guilty so i was prepared for this to be quite a major part of the plot but then it's resolved on page 51 because uh, bethany's dad's girlfriend angela just yells at the principal and then apparently he gets fired because he's in contravention of their freedom of religion for punishing them and Excluded the school, and then Nam's parents, who were apparently going to send her to a private school because of all this witch stuff, magically decide, oh no, actually, she can stay where she is, and no one's mad anymore. So there was basically no point in that being in the plot at all, it, it didn't do anything. Similarly, the main storyline that's meant to be holding all this together is the search for Joe's killer, but the search for Joe's killer never gets going, they never actually get any closer in the plot to finding that killer. They talk about it a bunch. But they never actually investigate. No clues are ever given, really, to the reader. We just keep hearkening back to the fact that someone must have killed Joe. Something weird's going on with Joe. And then a bunch of stuff about maybe Joe was cheating on Bethany with some other girls. This isn't really helping us to get close to the killer. There is no evidence here. And surely enough, we find out the killer in like the last literal three pages. The motivation and all the clues and stuff is just dumped on us. So, the plot doesn't really take you there organically, it's just kind of a holding pattern for witchy stuff to happen without progressing in any way. Page 77, there's some more random misinformation. Uh, we get um, Bethany and Tilly talking about Karen because basically, as soon as chapter one's over, Karen, not settling for being just kind of half of a massive bitch, goes full blown bitch and defects from their group and then starts spreading a load of lies about them, about how they're devil worshippers, to her new popular friends. And so Bethany says this. Anger swelled in Bethany's throat. You know she's warlocking, she said tightly. Who? Karen. When a witch turns traitor against their magical friends, it's called warlocking. They used to put witches to death for ratting on each other. Bethany's skin started to crawl. Something wasn't right. Maybe it was all this talk about Karen. So obviously, like, if you look up warlock, it means, like, oathbreaker. It's someone who maybe, like, goes against their coven oath. But I don't think that the verb for that is warlocking. So it's just kind of weird to have that in there. Also, I don't really think that it's something that we actually say in, like, modern times or in the year 2000 when this was published. So that was just very odd. In the middle of this conversation, Tilly just kind of appears next to Bethany and Nam. And is like ah so it works i can turn invisible and then she describes the kind of basic invisibility glamour that um is in a lot of like wicker 101 books about like seeing yourself as unnoticed unnoticeable and what she says is you're not really invisible people just think you are the trick is to imagine a shield around yourself that people can't see through but you can't make a noise and you can't look anyone directly in the eye then you've blown it you guys were easy because you were so engrossed in your conversation At this point, we're still in, like, Wicca, in the realms of what actually constitutes magic. But I'm going to call back to this later because these uh, stipulations are not met, shall we say. On the same page, there's also a continuity error because uh, Nick comes and puts Karen's necklace on the table. And then in the next paragraph, he does it again. So I just thought I'd mention that. There's also several points, uh, missing words or like typos, for example, page 66 Karen looked at Bethany. What's with you? Shaking, Bethany sat down on the bleachers. Vanessa Peters threatened me. Can you believe that? I have a new name for her. Vanessa the Viper. Karen twisted her head vehemently, her white blonde ponytail almost laser-slapping her rosy cheeks. Now, I'm not sure if that's, like, slang that I've just never heard or if it's some kind of weird simile that doesn't quite get carried off. But um, it it doesn't make a huge amount of sense. Around the 100 page mark, a new character is introduced. His name is Paul Nery and he's a freelance photographer, journalist, photojournalist who uh, works in New York. And he says that Joe was meant to be doing something for him. It's not really explained hugely what this is. At first, I thought maybe from what they were saying that Joe had gone to him to take some headshots because he wanted to be an actor but that wasn't it maybe and then i think they say he, they were doing a piece about him and about the school but we're meant to believe that this somehow ties into his death and it's never really explained or no credible red herring explanation is ever really set up but this poor guy shows up and basically just accuses bethany and her group of being devil worshippers and of murdering joe so Paul basically says some very horrible things and he happens to know that the reason that Nam hasn't met them yet at the bowling alley where they're meeting instead of going to the dance is because she's had a car accident similar to Joe, but they don't know about it yet but he basically accuses Bethany of causing that accident as well and accuses her of trying to kill her friends and uh, then this happens which was just very odd. Paul shrugged fingers playing with the camera. Do you want to confess? Maybe this place is too open. He stepped closer to Bethany. Want to come talk to me privately? Tell Paulie all about it? How you arranged for your friend to die? How you ran that pretty Chinese girl off the road? Tried to kill her? He drifted his fingers lightly under her chin. I think you're a very evil little girl, he whispered. No, wailed Bethany. Neri leaned over and kissed her. Bethany turned her head, the slimy kiss blazing across her cheek. If you know so much, why haven't you gone to the cops? She asked, resisting the urge to spew the contents of her stomach all over this horrid man. Proof, baby, he said softly. Proof. He backed up and snapped a picture in her face, the flash of the camera temporarily blinding her. So what Paula's just done is sexual assault. This is kind of glossed right over and never mentioned again, even though her dad is a police officer and had she told him about this, although he is kind of an absentee dad, Paul could have been arrested for like molesting a minor because she is a minor. This is just never meant. It just blew my mind that this had just been chucked in. Okay, maybe he's just a grubby journalist trying to get some sensationist story. But why is he now just randomly sexually assaulting people? Like, oh, he wasn't evil enough. Let's just have him do that. Another example of how things are brought up and then resolved. Only like three pages later, we get told that Nam's fine. She's not fighting for her life in hospital. She's going to be allowed to come home soon. So we've kind of already had the them being expelled from school kind of thing, like glossed over. That's all fine. They are still getting a bit bullied, but now because the principal has been fired, they have a cool principal who isn't going to, you know, let those bullies get away with it. We're told Nam's in an accident, but then Nam is instantly fine. So it's kind of shitting all over its own dramatic tension, uh, which isn't great in terms of building interest in the reader to keep them interested in the plot. Around page 125 we finally get the only kind of clue that they get in the Joe murder investigation which is that he was seen arguing with Vanessa but again this is really quickly rectified because straight away after that we have a scene in which Uh, Bethany kind of confronts Vanessa and yells at her and Vanessa reveals that what they were arguing about was the fact that Joe who was Bethany's boyfriend had knocked up Karen and that he had in fact been cheating on her with Karen and Vanessa. There is a section that I did quite like it's on page 135 and it's basically Ramona talking to Bethany about how she knew her mum and how her mum was a witch before her and that when she died her power got passed on to Bethany. Now I thought that I wasn't going to like that as a kind of story because it seemed to imply that only people who have witches in their family already can be witches. But it goes on to say, Each comes into his or her power in the way spirit designed. Some come by it naturally. Some read, study, practice. Others have the power passed to them like you. This gives you a jump start. But what you do with that power depends on whether it will grow or die. Although the power will flow easier through you, this also means that your choices will be more difficult. Once you have the knowledge, spirit does not forgive its misuse. What will you do with this power? Now, I still don't 100% agree with all that, but I think it is kind of a good way of maybe explaining how people get into wicker or witchcraft in general, uh, in that some people just kind of find it in books, like I found a magazine article about it. Other people have family members who are already interested or maybe practicing folk magic and that's how they get into it. Maybe one day if you'll read these things from books and have a child they'll also get it from you. It sort of painted a picture of there being many ways to the same end and didn't say that one was better than the other. So that's what I quite liked about it and thought that was quite a good message to have in this book which would probably obviously be read by teenagers who were interested in witchcraft some of the main things going on in the plot throughout the book are Bethany's dad's new girlfriend Angela not being very nice it kind of reminded me of the tension in the wicker series with alyssa and her stepmom except that stepmom was okay and Angela is literally the most evil woman to ever set foot on earth uh, in that she's kind of very obviously only into Bethany's dad because of his money and wants to get Bethany out of the picture by sending her to a private school so that's going on but again there's no real sort of threat set up in that because it, it kind of changes so much and is mentioned so infrequently that it's never really clear what we're meant to be afraid of that she'll be sent to a different school or that Angela will move in with them you know what's happening and we find out a little bit more about Nick's sister Marissa about how she's kind of going through some stuff since their parents death how she may have had like psychoactive drugs in her teens or when she was at college which have done something to her brain and made her mental health questionable and that she's kind of concerned with cults and witches and is obviously very paranoid and Uh, they are a little bit concerned about this and Nick mentions that she might have to go into hospital there's quite a bizarre little scene at the beginning of chapter 14 Bethany is at school and Karen is not I think that's basically the point of the scene is that Karen isn't there Uh, but they're having like a history lesson and her teacher has decided to make it about the witch trials and keeps making digs about Bethany and it's kind of riling the class up against her For for shits and gigs, really. I understand your father has considered transferring you to a private school, said Mrs. Matthews, pulling down another shade. Bethany's eyes widened. How dare this old woman say something like that in front of everyone? It wasn't even true. Someone in the room cheered. That would be such a shame, hissed Mrs. Matthews, lowering the third shade with a snap. Our sense of enchantment would be at a loss. A few of the students shifted uncomfortably in their seats, while others whispered amongst themselves. Mrs. Matthews moved to the fifth shade, lowering it slowly. If you will all turn to page 108, we'll be studying the Salem Witch Trials today. I think Bethany will find the part about putting evil to death most interesting, or perhaps, like Mary S., she'll be struck by lightning. In the utter silence of the room, someone gasped. Her temper snapped. "'Bethany raised her fist and pounded the desk, screaming, "'By the deadly skirts of the dark goddess, "'it is you, you old hag, that should be struck down. "'May your karma return to you.' "'At that moment all the shades roared open, "'spinning on their metal supports, "'the one closest to Mrs Matthews flying from the woman's hand "'and ripping across her wrinkled cheek. "'Blood spurted down her white blouse, "'droplets flicking against the window like sanguine rain. "'Mrs Matthews screamed, but no one moved. "'All eyes were on Bethany.' To take you back to that bit that I read at the beginning, this is meant to be about magic that real Wiccans would practice, not that you would stand up in a class, scream some sort of very odd incantation at your teacher, and all the window blinds would suddenly open and scratch her in the face. One, maybe, maybe you could pass that off as just a coincidence, but seriously, all of them, this is just ridiculous. Entertaining, certainly, cinematic, possibly, but definitely ridiculous. It's at this point we find out that Karen's not at school because she's ostensibly pregnant. Bethany speaks to Nick and he basically says that because he was dating Karen, Karen wants to tell her parents that it's his when actually it's Joe's. And obviously there's a little bit of a kerfuffle about that. And I was kind of feeling for Karen at this point, but, you know she wasn't in the story that much so that sympathy kind of went to waste so harking back to my point about how the plot never really gets going or goes anywhere and we don't really make a lot of progress on finding joe's killer okay a couple of things come out about joe in his past but we don't really start moving towards who his killer is and why because we still don't know why someone would want him dead or even why bethany would think that he was murdered We only start moving in that direction on page 200 of a book that is only 218 pages long. So in 18 pages, we have to find out who the killer is, somehow catch that killer and have a confrontation with them, have their motivation explained and then end the book in 18 pages, which isn't great and definitely not planned out that well because... There's like a large chunk of stuff in the middle that you could probably just have skipped over. Like all the scenes where it's like you're getting suspended from school, except four pages later, you're allowed back into school. But for some reason, we don't get into who murdered Joe until page 200. For no real reason on page 200, Bethany just starts suspecting Paul Nery, the photographer. Now, we still don't really have a clear idea of why Joe was involved with the photographer, aside from taking some pictures apparently for this story for school it's only a story, I guess, about him being an athlete or something. It's not really mentioned that it's a story that would be particularly worth killing for. So no effort has really been put into trying to come up with a credible motive for Paul. The idea of Paul being the killer is floated in a conversation that is kind of half about Tilly wanting some cookies. A lot of time is given to her talking about these cookies and how Ramona made them for some moving people. So there must be cookies around here somewhere. The cookies are not plot relevant, but More of the conversation is actually devoted to them than to Paul's ostensible motive. What they say is, You know, said Tilly, fishing for her second cookie, I think that Paul Neri knows more about all this than he is letting on. You mean that reporter guy asked Bethany, if he knew something, why hasn't he gone to the cops? Like the man said, remarked Tilly, he needs proof. She bit into the cookie, smacking her lips lucky for us or he'd have us all carted away he thinks we did it said bethany nam shuddered he's the man who saw my accident said Nam. that's how they found marissa's car at this point i should say it's been disclosed that marissa's car is the one that kind of shoved nam off the road and marissa is nick's sister i didn't know that exclaimed bethany you know the more i think about it the more i believe he has pieces but not the full picture He knew Joe, said Bethany slowly, and he's been following us around. I think it's time we set a trap for little Paul Neri. So we've gone from, oh, hey, remember that Paul guy? He knows something about Joe, to we should set a trap for him because he definitely killed Joe. But I mean, if only if for any reason you would want to talk to Paul, surely it's to ask him, hey, um joe gave me this picture you took of him to take care of like it was something important what were you doing a story on what was your involvement with him was it anything that could have got him killed maybe he knows something but isn't necessarily the killer even if there is a killer because we still haven't established whether joe was murdered or not but anyway they do a spell to basically draw paul to them so that they can like Work out what he's doing and what he's up to. In the process of this spell, something gets revealed, and I'm just going to read you the little bit where that happens. Slowly, Bethany withdrew a lighter from her pocket and set flame first to the male candle, then to her own. A thunderclap hit the house full force, windows and knickknacks shaking. The picture of Joe bounced from the edge of the dresser, crashing in pieces as it struck the hardwood floor. The storm that had threatened to engulf Cedar Crest hit with full force, and Bethany smiled. She turned slowly, feeling the power surging through her. My mother taught me, she said, feeling the energy, like an electric shock playing across her arms, encompassing her head, shooting from her arms. Nam screamed. Tilly just stared at her. Holy crap, she whispered, then dropped her eyes to the floor. Hey, look here. Tilly picked through the broken frame and glass. The other two girls gathered around Tilly. Look at this, she said, her voice strangled, her gold bracelets tinkling down her arm mixing with the sonorous chimes of the clock in the hall so obviously the thunder and lightning has caused this picture to fall down i don't know how um i'm pretty sure your house has to be like directly struck by lightning for pictures and knickknacks and things to fall down Maybe if wind had come in through an open window, I could see it happening, but not thunder. Also, I think this is like the third time that a spell they're doing has coincided with a lightning storm. Going back to what I said about this being real magic, not every spell you do is going to cause a lightning storm for effect. And really, if you're going to do that in a book that's ostensibly about real Wiccans, maybe that can happen once for like pathetic fallacy reasons, but not every single bloody time. Now, chapter two, uh, chapter 21, like the last chapter in the book, page 205, remember we've only got to page 218 to wrap all this shit up, Angela suddenly arrives at the house. She hasn't been mentioned for a while, so I kind of forgot about her and just assumed she was working in the city being a bitch. But in fact, she has shown up to do what Mitchell and Webb refer to as the evil voice. Basically, she's just randomly more evil than ever and decides to 007 explain the plot to everybody, which I was kind of grateful for at this point, but also it kind of got progressively more ridiculous as the scene progressed. So firstly, she shows up and uh, at this point, Tilly has uncovered the papers that fell out of the back of the picture and discovers that they are two wills. Angela comes in from the doorway or like, shocking and scary in the middle of them not knowing she's there then she announces that she's going to have bethany put away in safana's girls school in upstate new york and she says very posh place for the criminally insane of course your father thinks it's a boarding school i let him go about the absurd business of redecorating his den for your new room to keep him thinking you're important which we both know you're the last thing i care about doesn't matter though because he and i are leaving for europe at the end of the week by the time your father figures out where you are you'll be pumped with enough drugs to make you crazy so we're already kind of getting a little bit ridiculous uh, and strange they then go on to say well we'll just tell our parents what you're going to do to bethany and we'll tell them that you killed joe which apparently they have worked out somehow i don't know how it is explained later and then she says that no one's going to believe them because they're just teenagers which i mean fair point at this point bethany starts to think that angela is an untrained but evil witch because of something ramona said about there being like this blackness around angela uh, about how she maybe doesn't know that she has powers but she is kind of using them without realizing but again i don't really know how i feel about the book suggesting that some people just have inherited innate magical powers and then we get into the most ridiculous turn that the scene could take page 208 I'm not leaving, said Bethany. You can't make me go anywhere with you. Whereupon, Angela unceremoniously produced a gun from the pocket of her black blazer and aimed it at Nam. I thought this might happen if your little cronies were with you. I'd hoped you'd be alone. However, I came prepared. Either you pack your bags or this one meets that fake goddess you're so proud of. So she's literally just pointing a gun like she brought a gun here. To point at her, to get her to go to a mental asylum, to have her involuntarily committed. The fact that she thought this plan would work is insane to me. Tilly bravely points out that this is a stupid idea. um, That just shooting Bethany or Nam or Tilly will obviously not end well for Angela. Angela then waves the gun in the air and says, I'll just tell her father that it was a teen cult thing. He'll believe me. I don't think he will, Angela. I think you're going to go to prison. But then she's pointing the gun at them and is like... Uh, one wrong move and you're dead but then they just start like holding hands and doing a chant i'm like this woman is pointing an actual fucking gun at you don't do anything that's gonna unnerve her enough that she's just gonna shoot one of you now i hope you didn't forget about the wild dog wild hunt hound thing that was mentioned at the beginning of the book because various people have been sighting these dogs and at one point it was kind of suggested that tilly couldn't see them while bethany and nam both could see them like surrounding the car as they drove up the drive but the hounds have come for angela and they enter the fray slash gunfight at the same time as paul Nery, who has obviously been called by the spell i guess because he has no logical reason to be in this scene and it's also at this point that tilly manages to turn invisible which makes this scene quite confusing for the purposes of this scene i will also mention that bethany's cat is called hecate <laughs> Angela's gun hand flew straight up, the blast of two shots hitting the ceiling, bits of plaster raining down. Tilly and Nam dove to the side as the dogs soared through the air, filling the room with a heavy canine odour, knocking Angela to the hardwood floor, powerful jaws munching through her skin like a laser obliterating a piece of paper. Hecate howled, springing from the floor to the dresser, knocking over the two burning candles, raining hot wax and fire on Angela's head. The two candles broke apart, sputtered and went out. The crazed woman raised the gun and aimed for Tilly's head, the shot echoing through the room as one of the dogs tore her arm from her shoulder. Just think on that for a second. The sound of golden bracelets hitting the hardwood floor, screams sending shockwaves through Bethany's body. Angela was dead. There were pieces of her everywhere, just like Nam had wished, just like Joe. Bethany looked at her left hand, expecting to be holding on to a dead Tilly, but Tilly wasn't there. Yeah, so apparently the hounds come in and they literally rip Angela to pieces. They, like, they rip her arm off. But then, in the final last chapter, uh, we get this explanation. She shivered, but there were no dogs. At least that's what her father had said. And there was no blood. And Angela wasn't in pieces on the floor. They'd claimed that the Beast of the East had died of a myocardial infarction, heart attack. Odd for a woman her age, but not unheard of. Ramona explained that sometimes we see things on the astral for real and on the earth plane as illusion, especially when magic is involved it's rare but it happens is it though is it rare but is it happens I don't think it is so we basically get this very dramatic but kind of ridiculous in its surprisingness scene in which a bunch of dogs break into a house and rip a woman apart in what is meant to be a true-to-life Wiccan teen novel and then silver Ravenwolf gets to have her cake and eat it too because she says oh no that was just an astral thing actually it was all very mundane and she had a heart attack yeah but she still had a heart attack because magic i don't know that that is how that works so now we've got two things that annoy me which when we really could have only had one like if she just had the dogs i'd be mad about that if it was just the heart attack i'd be mad about that but less mad than if she tried to have both at the same time especially since in the next paragraph she contradicts herself because she says paul Neri didn't see the dogs because the fool knocked him out well actually no he didn't see the dogs because they weren't there because you were seeing them on the astral unless he was meant to be seeing them too um but then apparently he comes too, and he's now sold his story about the dogs that tore the woman apart for a lot of money which okay baby he could have done that if there was a woman who'd been torn apart i mean bethany says that she told her dad about this but presumably not everyone in the world and there's no proof to back it up how would Paul Neri even know that she saw the dogs there and how would he then buoy up his story if there's actually no real physical evidence behind it in the meantime in this sort of last little bit we find out that because something to do with Karen her family have basically taken her out of school sold their diner and moved out of town now Ramona said earlier that Karen wasn't actually pregnant that she can always tell when someone's pregnant and because she's all witchy and wise I guess I believe her for the purposes of this book because Nick's sister actually dies halfway through the book he has gone with them because he doesn't want to be in town anymore and he kind of wants to be with Karen and because she told him that she was having a baby he wants to be with her Now, there's two problems with this. One, if Karen isn't really pregnant, why would her family move her out of town? There's basically no reason for them to do that unless what she said is true. But we've been told that it's not. And also, why would she lie about being pregnant to keep Nick when Nick is interested in Bethany? Which is what Ramona suggests is the case. Why would she then tell Nick that the baby is not his? It's actually Joe's. Surely a more efficient lie is to say I am pregnant with your baby. I'm just generally confused about the whole Karen plot line, but I don't care that much because honestly, it's Karen, so I couldn't really muster much interest. The end of the previous chapter and Tilly's apparently miraculous escape from being shot is explained in two lines on page 212. Uh, basically, Ramona is doing Bethany's hair, so Bethany says, You're weaving in a glamour, aren't you? Actually, what she says is, You're weaving in a glamoury, aren't you? But I have substituted a word that exists and makes sense. And what if I am? It certainly helped Tilly. She dodged that bullet and only got grazed. How is your practice coming? So apparently Tilly managed to dodge a bullet by actually turning invisible, but while being held at gunpoint by a crazy woman. So obviously she was being looked at, probably making full eye contact. Even if she wasn't, you can't tell me that a Wiccan don't notice me glamour is going to work against someone who is pointing a gun at you in a room. Maybe in a crowd, maybe to get out of a building without necessarily being noticed. I'd buy that. But this just is stretching credulity to its absolute limits. And by stretching it to its limits, I mean tearing it to pieces like a child with a napkin who's not being watched by anybody. The entire motivation for Joe's death and the whole plot of the book is then explained in, and I'm not joking, I'm not being facetious here, two pages. Pages 215 and 216 to be exact. You know it's a good mystery when you can tell the whole story in that time. Now I say this explains Joan's death, but it still isn't actually confirmed that he was murdered. Basically the entire mystery behind the picture, which has been mentioned several times throughout the book as obviously one of Bethany's pictures of her dead boyfriend, is that he hid in the back of it two wills, which actually belonged to Nick and Marissa's recently dead parents. And basically Angela's running a scam where she convinces people to kill their family members and collect the insurance money. She then takes a cut of that and then proceeds to blackmail that person to get money. She does this scam a lot in different towns and she always dates a member of law enforcement to, I guess, help her to avoid discovery. And that's why she's with Bethany's dad. Now, the Marissa case is slightly different because they'd actually written Marissa out of their will because they were kind of worried about her lifestyle and her mental health, I guess. So Angela then had to forge a will and it's copies of the forged wills that Joe has left in the picture in case something happened to him. And Joe knows about this because he was also sleeping with Marissa. To be honest, I'm surprised that this boy had any energy left for anything else. He seems to have been sleeping with literally every woman in town. So basically, the guilt over having killed her parents caused Marissa to spiral, and that's why she started doing these like attacks on Nam, and why she was there at the witches' night out circle at the beginning, throwing rocks through the window because she was becoming more and more paranoid as discovery loomed. I kind of buy that. I wish it had been built up more through the novel, as you know, them finding out. Some parts of this mystery instead of dumping it all in two pages right at the end but what they actually say about joe and the night of his death is this before meeting angela joe placed the two wheels belonging to marissa's parents behind his picture at least proving he wasn't stupid perhaps he thought to blackmail the woman the real will cut marissa out of her inheritance due to her parents exasperation with her insane lifestyle the second the one used at the time the estate was settled was a fraud Had Joe given the wheels to Bethany, hoping that if anything happened, she would figure it out? How considerate of him. It doesn't go on to say that Angela then rammed him off the road and caused his car accident, or that he was poisoned with something that made him fall asleep at the wheel. It's never actually confirmed that he was murdered. This book is meant to be about catching Joe's killer, and they don't even confirm that he was murdered. What? What? Right at the end, Bethany is thinking about a case that her dad's been working on about a little girl who has been murdered. And she thinks, well, if I found Joe's killer, maybe we can help find this killer. Now, this is quite a good way to introduce, like, the second book, I guess, is going to be solving this girl's death. It's kind of a good way to introduce them into this sort of crime-fighting detective work thing. First working on a case that directly affects them and then moving on to one they are less connected to. Had they actually caught Joe's killer or even confirmed that he was murdered, it would have been a better story. But I guess maybe the second one will be better? Hopefully? I'm going to get into that one straight after this because I want these over with as soon as possible if they're anything like the first one. I have to say, I did kind of like the first one for all the negative things that I've just said about it. It was quite dramatic and if it had been written as like a fantasy witchcraft book, I would have taken much less issue with it. It's the fact that with a straight face presumably silver raven will throw in the back oh yeah this is meant to be like real witchcraft it's not meant to be like hollywood and then proceeds to have people getting torn apart by hellhounds people doing rituals where lightning strikes knock pictures off the wall people standing up in classes pointing at teachers shouting spells and having like blinds whip up and score their faces It just kind of beggars belief that any of this stuff can be considered realistic or can be seen as being a mundane occurrence instead of one that is outright caused by magic in the Hollywood sense. Aside from that, the general kind of mangled plot where although all the points are there and it does make sense, all of the exposition is left to the end was kind of ruined kind of ruined some of my enjoyment of the book as did the feeling at the beginning that I had stepped in on a book that was the second in a series because obviously there was a lot of exposition at the beginning as well I feel like maybe that could have been spaced out a bit maybe more things could have been shown not told and maybe they could have caught the killer before the last five pages and uh, maybe that killer could have been a little less ridiculous than Angela evil voice whatever the hell her last name was Oh, you know I'm salty about a book when I get to the end of the review and I'm hoarse. So um, what I'm going to do is uh, shove this to one slide, get on with the other two in the series. I have found that Silver Wolf has actually written a few other fiction novels that aren't in this series. So I'm going to pick those up as well. And I do promise, I solemnly swear, that I will actually get someone to brace the top half of my reading pile and get back into her non-fiction books because... I'm looking forward to reading them because I quite enjoyed Solitary Witch and uh, we'll get those reviews up for you in no time. In the meantime, I will see you in the next episode. Bye bye guys!